All right, you guys, um, I'm going to talk tonight. I titled this sermon, Making Room for God, because I'm tricking you, and I'm talking about the presence of God, okay? Because I thought if I would do practicing the presence of God, you'd all go, ooh, we've heard that a thousand times. So I did a little fancy title, Make Room for God, but I'm really talking about the presence of God. Do you forgive me for tricking you with that title? Yeah, I'm still fleshing that out. Thanks, Tina. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Tina. Well, that's going to be a lot harder one to research because the part two, if you were here last week, was different, not wrong, where we talked about how do we get along with people who have differences that are not maybe moral differences or things that we have a different value about, but just personality differences. But the second part of that is going to be how do we love somebody that we vehemently maybe disagree with, or we disagree with their lifestyle, or what they hold to be true, how are we going to love them? See, so i got to figure that out. <laughs> i got to do some research on that, because that's kind of a hard question, right? So thanks, Tina. I'll be doing that later. Thanks. Accountability. I'm going to start out with a funny joke. Is that okay? Because I heard it on the um, TV, and I thought it was kind of appropriate. It goes like this. Janet, it's a good one. It goes like this. My bathing suit told me to go to the gym, but my sweatpants said, nah, girl, you got this. Do you get it? So, nah, girl, you got this. No, girl, you got this. You don't need to go to the gym. Oh, I like that one. I thought it was funny. Um, oh, I got another one. No, I told you my John Keeson one. Does anyone else have a funny one? No. You weren't here for that, uh, Chris. Did you ever hear my John Keeson joke? Let me say it for Chris because he wasn't here. When I was first starting to date before I met you, my sweet, wonderful husband, Bob recommended John Keeson for someone for me to date. And I said no because I would chew him up and spit him out is what I said. And I need someone like you. I need someone like that you. That means I would roll right over him, right? I'm a lion. And he's not a lion. And I, he's a lamb. He's a lamb and I'm a lion. And I need another lion, don't I, baby? We're two lions together. Yay. Okay. I'm going to talk tonight about the presence of God, practicing the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I've received a misconception about the presence of God, and it might be my own fault. It might be how people have taught it to me. I don't know. Maybe it's my upbringing. I always equated the presence of God with manifestations speaking in tongues, um, raising your hands, shaking. Have you ever seen anybody shake? Um, even a particular style of worship, like more charismatic style or a more conversational or casual style. That has always been the way I received the presence of God. When people would say, you need to pursue the presence of God. We're a church that pursues the presence of God. The way that I received that was, oh, that means you pursue supernatural manifestations and then that therefore means that God is present or you're somehow participating in the presence of God. And so I think I came away with actually a lie. And what, what that did to me was I didn't speak in tongues, I didn't shake, I didn't roll on the floor or do anything like, sorry, I mean, apologies to anybody who does that. 
because that's not wrong. It's different, not wrong. But I didn't do it. And so I thought, well, somehow I'm missing out on pursuing the presence of God. Maybe I'm immature spiritually and need to grow. Maybe they have an inside track or they're more spiritually discerning than me. And I really felt kind of bad about myself. I felt second best. And that's been with me for a long time until I realized that was mostly not true (laughs) and that um, it's different, not wrong. We all have different personalities. We all have different giftings. Some people have the gift of tongues. Awesome. Some people have the gift of faith, the gift of healing, words of knowledge, prophetic words. There's all kinds of gifts, gifts of hospitality. I have the gift of hospitality, believe it or not. That's in the Bible, and that's a gift. Isn't that true, right? I was at this wedding today. This is just an aside. I was at this wedding today, and it was at The Rock. It was John and Sarah. And there are tons of people we knew. It was all I could do to not get up and greet people at the door because I was so excited to see those people. You know, I just wanted to bring them in and make them at home. And then when we were eating, and one of the ladies was walking around and she was organizing the food, I'm like, man, if I knew these people better, I'd go in, throw an apron on, and help her clean up the kitchen. Seriously. You know, that, that's my Martha coming out. But that's how God made me, and that's how I also experienced the presence of God. So I want to talk today maybe about a different way we've to think about the presence of God than maybe what we've already come away with. Is that okay? Um, I, was, I told you I was going to talk about the Krauses tonight. Um, you know, you've heard me talk about being intentional and having um, a, a certain culture that you go after. And we've talked about different cultures. We've talked about Chick-fil-A and, you know, um, Apple and all those different kind of cultures. Well, Nobody makes a culture like Walt Disney. Am I right, girl? How many people have been to Disneyland, Disney World, a cruise? Or, yeah. Can you all say it was a five-star experience? I've been to Disney World, Disneyland, and a Disney cruise, and they are awesome. And if you go, you're treated, you're called guests, of course. Um, You're treated like kings and queens. There's not one speck of dirt anywhere, would you say? The entertainment is out of this world. In fact, this is what um, I read this about their corporate statement. The Walt Disney Company has an organizational culture for excellent entertainment. The company's business segments are strategically managed to achieve excellence in entertainment products for customers in the global mass media, entertainment, and amusement park industries. This corporate culture is based on Walt Disney Company's corporate mission and vision statements, which aim for leadership in providing entertainment and related products. For example, the company's cultural traits motivate employees, also known as cast members, to focus on providing the best entertainment experiences to customers who the company refers to as guests. The following are the main characteristics of the Walt Disney Company's corporate culture. Innovation, decency, Quality, community, love that, storytelling, and optimism. Aren't those cool values? I love it. This goes back to um, when we were talking about Centura and how Christian said that part of the, the corporate value is that when you get within 20 feet of somebody, you look them in the eye, and when you're 10 feet, you say, hey, how's it going? 
as if you need to teach that to people. But apparently you need to teach that to people, right? I love it that Walt Disney says we're going to teach, make sure people are optimistic. What a cool value for a company. I think that's really neat. And so it's gotten me thinking about values of Supper Club. We've talked about that for a long time, right? I just sent over Bob a, an email for him to look over at some of the different values I want to talk about in Supper Club. We've talked about community. We've talked about healing. I want to talk tonight about the presence of God as being a value for Saturday Night Supper Club. And what does that mean? What is, how does that play out in our lives? Okay. So, my first point is in pursuing the presence of God as a core value, our first ministry is to God. Just like Moses, when we see him and experience his presence, we are moved to worship with passion. You know, you see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament how, peop- how people respond when they come into the presence of, presence of God. There's two ways that people respond. They either respond in fear and shame or with joy. You see fear and shame in the Garden of Eden. Remember that man was having an experience of walking with God until they fell, and then they were afraid to be in the presence of God because it it commanded a fear and shame of their behavior. Also, in Isaiah, when he, see, when he has a vision and God comes to him, it says in the scripture that he falls on his face. He's, this is what he says. I, I love this because I think sometimes we all need to feel this. Woe to me. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Listen, we all need to have a healthy fear of the Lord, a reverence, and an absolute acknowledgement of who he is in our lives. But the really cool thing is, once we come to this place of imputed righteousness, do you know what imp- imputation means? This is a cool legal term, and we do it all the time in my mediation. Imputation means acting as if you have something even if you don't, accounting it to your ledger, so to speak. I imp- when we're doing mediation, we'll say, I impute to you this kind of income, whether you make it or not. When it comes to our relationship with God, we are imputed the righteousness of Christ. I'm here to tell you, not one of us is worthy to stand in front of God. Not one of us. What we were just talking about Moses, Moses said, show me your face. God said, oh, I can't show you my face. You can't stand my face. But I'll put you in a cleft, and I'll put my hand over you, and I'll let you see me as I walk by. But you can't see my face and live. We all need to kind of remember, we can't see God's face and live. We need to have that kind of fear. But... With the new covenant, we have an imputation of righteousness. And now our righteousness recognizes the righteousness of God, and we respond with joy. And we respond with this overwhelming sense of, oh, my gosh, I'm in the presence of God. You know when one of the first times in the New Testament we see that? John the Baptist in the womb. 
comes up to Jesus. Elizabeth and Mary meet each other. And Elizabeth says, my, my child jumped for joy in my womb. When he came into the presence of Jesus, even as a baby, even as a baby, John recognized whose presence he was in. Mary, I love this. Um, Mary, after um, the angel said to her, you're going to be pregnant, you're going to give birth to Jesus, she says a whole thing. It's called Mary's song in Matthew. I'm going to read you the first line of it. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She could not help but rejoice. Here she was going. She, listen, what she was asked to do was not going to be easy. It could have been death to her. Her response was, my soul rejoices in the Lord. And so the first part of pursuing God and pursuing the presence is to recognize that our response to him is joy. We have a joyful response to him. That's why so many times um, the presence has been confused with a kind of style, right? We've said, well, if you're going to have the presence of God in your service, it needs to look like this kind of style. And I think what's getting tangled up here is the idea of a joyful response. It's not a type of style. It's a joyful response. Are you responding to his presence with joy because you've received an imputed righteousness that's not your own? And you're responding to who he really is. He's, he's, he's not a faraway God. He's a close God. But he's not a safe God. He's a God to be revered, yet he loves us and he's close to us and he cares about us. That kind of response demands joyful worship, not mediocre or so-so, joyful worship. That was huge to me. Here's the second thing why we pursue God and why we pursue the presence of God. We focus on his presence because we've discovered that he's focused on us. The scripture says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always or hardly ever Think of the Lord delighting in me or rejoicing over me. I mostly think how maybe I'm not living up to what he wants me to do or that I'm not doing my devotions long enough or good enough or serious enough or that somehow I've, you know, entertained speculations and torn somebody down in my head and done horrible things, but I don't really focus much on the fact that God's focused on me. Like God's eyes are on me, and he delights in me, and he approves of me. Do you guys, am I alone? Do any of you guys have those feelings? I, I, I feel like if we're going to practice the presence of God, we have to really believe that he delights over us that he really, truly delights over us. A couple different translations say, exalts over, rejoices over, and happily 
rejoices over. I guess one of the visions I have in my head is the prodigal father. You know, when he sees his son from far away and the son starts running and the father goes out to him and hasn't seen him for a long time and hugs him and puts the, the robe on him and the ring on his finger, nothing that he deserves, right? And he's like, oh, strike up the band. We're having a party. My son is home. That to me is a picture of a father who delights over his children. And believe me, that son had imputed righteousness, none of his own, right? He had an imputed righteousness of a robe and a ring and sandals on his feet. That to me is the picture of how God sees us every single day and every single moment. And when we get a hold of that, what can our response be? But to rejoice and to worship him and to seek his presence because he seeks our presence. It's not a, it's not a one-way street. He wants us. I love that idea. I love the idea that it's reciprocal. The third point I want to talk about is kind of a long point, so I'm going to say it twice. Purposefully cultivating a hunger for God's presence and an openness to experiencing the Holy Spirit deepens our friendship with God and our awareness that we carry his presence for the sake of the world. I'm going to say it again. And this is not my own. I'm copying it, just so you know. Purposefully cultivating a hunger for God's presence and an openness to experiencing the Holy Spirit deepens our friendship with God and our awareness that we carry his presence for the sake of the world. You know, all of Denver could be born again. And yet we'd still have problems because we don't know how to live in a kingdom. And we don't know how to live with kingdom values. It's one thing to be saved. It's another to live in the kingdom as a kingdom citizen. Heaven functions different than earth. And we've got to get a hold of how heaven functions so that we can transform earth. You know, humanity was created to be God's foreman, if you will. Imagine a development like, say, Highlands Ranch or the Meadows or something like that. And God is a developer, and he goes in and he buys the land. He picks out where the houses are going to be and where the streets are going to be and where the retail and, the, and all the different things that you do when you're a developer. Then he says, I'm going to hire a foreman, and I want them to develop it for me. Here you go. Here's my blueprints. Here's the way I want it to look. Here's the architecture of a development. Now you go and do it. And oh, by the way, if you've got any good ideas on the way, let me know and we'll implement those too. Because I want to work with you. That was the purpose of humanity and God in extending the kingdom at the beginning with the Garden of Eden. They were to take the Garden of Eden, work the garden, expand the boundaries, expand the boundaries, expand the boundaries. And they were to be like God, to operate in the values of heaven, operate the way that God operates, and implement it in the earth. Well, we know that didn't really work, right? So if we're going to transform or be transformative in this world, we've got to get back to the values of heaven. We've got to get back to the values, or we've got to get back to the blueprint, right? We've got to get back to the original intent, the original architecture. 
Now, here's where it gets a little bit, I don't know, iffy, okay? Everybody's with me so far, right? Now we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, I was researching this, and I was watching Bill Johnson because he was talking about the presence of God. And Chris asked me a really good question. He said, why do people not like Bill Johnson? And I said, well, I think they're scared. I think they're scared of what he teaches, and they're scared of the Holy Spirit. I said, I know I was. I said, the reality is the Holy, Holy Spirit's been misunderstood, not taught well, but also can be outside of our comfort zone. Can I say that? We sometimes want to have a safe, secure landscape that doesn't ask us to do anything scary, doesn't ask us to take chances, and doesn't ask us to risk. But that's not the Lord. Because the Lord is like, listen, I need you to get back to my original architecture for the world so that we can work together as partners, so I can trust you with what I want to happen. And here's the guy that's going to teach you how to do it, called the Holy Spirit. And I need you to, like, buddy up to this guy. And I need you to do what they, you know, I need you to do a couple things to kind of get back on track. You've strayed away, but I know your heart's right. So I need you to talk to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to communicate with you the values and the blueprint and the architecture I have for transforming the world. The problem is that freaks us out because that's, the values of heaven don't line up with our rational minds sometimes. But if we're going to transform the world, we're going to pursue a friendship with the Holy Spirit. And there needs to be an openness to saying, God, what do you want me to learn from the Holy Spirit that maybe is a little bit outside my comfort zone? And that's why getting back to style and supernatural manifestations and stuff like that, I don't want you to misunderstand. That stuff's not wrong, different, not wrong. Just because someone is, has spiritual manifestations doesn't mean they're more mature, for sure. But I'm here to tell you, spiritual manifestations are sometimes the work of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be okay with that. And we need not have judgment towards it. Okay, now, not every supernatural thing is from the Lord. There is demonic power at work in this world. So we have to be discerning. That's why we need to buddy up to the Holy Spirit. We need to hear from the Holy Spirit what's really from the Lord and what's not from the Lord. But pursuing the presence of God involves friendship with the Holy Spirit and openness to the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, you're my teacher here on earth. I need you to get back on track with the values of heaven. How do I do that? How do I do that, right? So that's kind of, that's where I want us to have an openness to that. We're open here to the works of the Holy Spirit because, doggone it, we want to pursue the presence of God. You know, heaven is supposed to be a practical, present tense reality. It's not supposed to be something they do or they do or we do once a week. It's supposed to be throughout our whole week and our whole day. And that was a challenge to me. You know, Bob and I talk, we, Bob and I talk a lot about stuff, obviously. And um, I said, man, it just cracks me up how many times I write a sermon that's just for me. It's preaching to me all week long. You know, I'll write a sermon, 
And then I'll think about that. I'm like, man, that was just for me. And what? I know, right? So I was thinking about this practicing the presence of God kind of thing, you know, because of that misconception I've received that it looks like a certain thing and it's only, you know, when you have music for an hour and you, you, you're on your face and all these different things, it's made me pigeonhole the presence to a particular time and space, right? When really the presence of God is all day long. It's all day long. It's looking to see, God, what are you doing right now? How do you want me to represent you over here? What's the word you have for this person? It's practicing listening to the Holy Spirit, joyful response to God every single minute, even when I don't feel like it. You know what I say to my kids, and I say, (laughs) I'm sorry, babe, I say this in my family. Sometimes... You just have to practice things. You're practicing a muscle. Trusting God, I'm, gonna, I'm going to exercise my trust muscle. This is exercising your presence muscle. You, you purpose to experience the presence of God throughout the day. On purpose, you build up that muscle, and it becomes more natural. Right? So fourthly... As a way of life, when we minister to others, we recognize God's presence to say what he says and do what he's doing. So we're going back to understanding God's presence and pursuing his presence isn't just for us. We're not just us for no more, right? We are called to be the, the foreman, the, the general contractors, if you will, that take God's development and move to the next one and move to the next one and expand the boundaries of the kingdom. You know, one person who knew the value of the presence was Moses. We talked about him before, right? He's like, show me your face. And God's like, no, you can't handle it and all that kind of thing. But Moses was called a friend of God. He became so close to God that he was called a friend of God. Remember, his face would glow when he had been in the presence of God. He'd scare the people. They're like, put a veil over that. We, we, don't, we don't know what's going on there. Scared them, right? So he had to put a veil on because he was so face-to-face with the Lord. But this is what I love. He knew that if the Israelites were going to get from point A to point B, they could not do it without the presence of God. Do you remember the pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke and all that stuff that surrounded the Israelites and led them forward through the desert to the promised land? And recognize the promised land is the same as the kingdom of God. One's just Old Testament, one's New Testament, okay? But one time the Israelites were doing something stupid, you know, like we want quail or, you know, we want water. Why don't we have any more gods? They're doing something really stupid, right? And Moses saying, why have you given me these people? These are a stiff-necked people. They're ridiculous, and I don't want them anymore. You know, and then God would also get real upset with them. He'd be like, you know what? I don't know why I picked these people from Egypt. They are so rebellious. I'm done with them. This is what Moses said to God. I love, I love their relationship. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. He recognized, man, if they were going to take, if they're going to take the promised land, they're not doing it alone. They have to have the presence. And Moses understood 
that he had to be able to carry the presence, to recognize the presence, to steward the presence for these rebellious, stupid people. Seriously. They were rebellious, stupid people. But he knew that if they were going to get anywhere, he had to have God's presence. And that's the thing about us, you guys. If we're going to get anywhere with the rebellious, stupid people in our lives, which are us, by the way, but our family, our friends, our coworkers, anybody, if we're going to be like a Moses to them, which we're all called to be, by the way, we're all called to be friends of God, we're all called to be deliverers in this world of evil, if we're going to be people that point the way to the promised land, to the kingdom of God, we have to understand the absolute priority of the presence in our life. And we, we have to be like, man, if you're not with me, I'm not doing it. If you're not with me, I'm not going to do it, Lord. But also, we want to be so connected, so addicted even to the friendship and presence of God that we can say to a person, that we can say, you know what, I've got a word from the Lord for you. I want to give you a word from the Lord that's going to set you free. Because one thing that we know is the supernatural gifts of God are things that can touch a person's heart that we know nothing about. Right? Have you ever experienced that? Where maybe you've, you've had impression or prophetic word from the Lord and you've shared it with someone and they fall into pieces in tears. That is the work of the presence of God in your life. And there are things that we can not see with our natural eyes but that can be seen supernaturally. And when we partner with the Holy Spirit, we say, Lord, this person's in bondage. They're in Egypt. And I want to be, I want to show them the way to the promised land. And he gives you a word or maybe healing, something like that. All of a sudden, the shackles drop off. The bondage comes off. And it's nothing that we've done except we've practiced the presence of God. We've made it a priority in our lives. We said, this is so important. I can't get from point A to point B without the presence of God. And so, you guys, I just want to encourage you, like me, as you go forward, I want you to think of the presence of God not as just something we do here during worship, which is something that we do. It's, it's a great priority. It helps us to reconnect with the Lord. But the thing is, we got to be connecting every single day in a lot of different ways. Not just with our singing, but with this idea that I'm going to have a joyful response of worship because my God deserves it. And if I'm going to be a partner with him on this earth, man, I need the help of the Holy Spirit in order to see what's going on with you, 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 and you, and myself, and how I can realign with the values of heaven. Otherwise, we don't know what we're doing, right? So I'm going to pray for us tonight that we can purpose. We can use our muscle, our practice, practicing the presence muscle, and exercise it and grow it in our lives, all right? And after I'm done praying, if anyone needs personal prayer for any reason, I'll be right up here, and you can come to me, and I will pray with you personally, okay? Someone just close us out. God, I, think, I do thank you, Lord, that all these messages are for me and not just for, um, 
I hope that means something to these guys, but it is a lot for me, Lord. And um, Father, I pray, Father, that you would um, redefine presence for us in our lives, that it's not just um, a style or a manifestation, it is a daily walk with you. And it's a daily walk in response of gratefulness and thankfulness for what you have done in our lives, for the imputation of righteousness that we do not deserve. And God, I pray, Father, that you would use us to expand the kingdom, that we would get to be those co-laborers and co-creators with you, God, because it is what we were made to do. It is the most fulfillment we can possibly have, which is to co-create with you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless every person here, that they would know you in such a way that their response would be just like John, to jump for joy and say, there's my Savior, there's my God who delights in me who loves me. Let us not forget your delight in us, Lord, that we would have the proper response to you, God. And I thank you, Lord, and I pray. I thank you so much for Joe and Stephanie who have cooked today. I just ask that you bless their hands. I bless their hearts for their generosity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.